it's alpha time again and it's not quite the way we'd normally do it we normally start with a wonderful meal but I've got my cake and a donut and we'll make a start we're gonna watch this welcome clip every day we ask so many questions what should I wear what's the weather gonna be like how am I gonna fit everything in but then there are those bigger questions like why am I here where am I heading is there more to life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, we'd be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. Welcome to Alpha. My name's Philip Della, and I'm one of the ministers at Camden Baptist Church. And we've been running Alpha courses since 1996. In fact, this is our 52nd consecutive course, but it's our very first one that we've done online. Normally we'd meet physically and we share a meal together so we can get to know each other and then listen to the talks and share discussion afterwards. We're not able to do it in the way that we would like, but I would encourage you to grab yourself a cake or a donut and a hot drink and settle down as we begin our Alpha course together. I remember someone on the very first Alpha courses we did saying, everybody in the world should do the Alpha course. Well, many have. Over 29 million people around the world have done Alpha. It's run in 169 countries and it's been translated into 112 languages. And it's for everyone. Whether you have no faith at all, but are interested in finding out more, whether you've had faith and somewhere along the line you've lost touch with it or been put off, or whether you are a believer and you just want to brush up on the basics again, we really welcome you to this Alpha course. So thank you for joining us. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to go on an adventure together, on a journey together. And who knows, we might just discover something that will be transforming of our lives. We might just find something priceless that's always been there, but we've never really noticed it. We're going to show, show a clip now from one of my favourite sitcoms. We always try and have a bit of fun on Alpha, so I'll be showing some clips and things along the journey. This comes from Only Fools and Horses when they discover that they've had something precious in their lockup all this time, but never known its real worth. I'd like to start the bidding at £150,000. <laughs> Thank you. 200000 250 Oh, dear. He's really said 150000 God. That's when I come out of a real bad me. You went on, Dale. 200,000, 250, free. Oh? That's when I dragged you out. You mean it ended up at 300,000 pounds? It's still going on. <laughs> oh, 
Come on, let's get back up in here. Three and a quarter. The bid is in the room. Three and a half. Three hundred and fifty thousand quid. Three and three quarters. Four, thank you. The bid stands at four million pounds. <laughs> the final outcome? It was bought by an anonymous bidder. He's giving it to the Maritime Museum at Greenwich, so at least it stays in the country. Oh, yeah, well, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you wally. That was the final score. What exactly did it go for? Oh. Six point two million. <laughs> so that's just over three million each. Well, we've had worse days. <laughs> you want to go first, or should I? Well, yeah, well why don't we go together? Yeah, yeah, all right. One, two. Maybe on this Alpha course you'll discover something priceless that's always been there but you never knew its worth. Session one on the Alpha course deals with the question of who is Jesus? The Alpha Course is based on a book by Nicky Gumbel called Questions of Life. And so we're going to deal with this question. Jesus, when he walked with his disciples, asked them questions. One of them was this. Who do people say I am? And then he followed it up with a much more personal question. Who do you say I am? That's the question I want us to look at in this session. Jesus was born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. He grew up in an even more obscure town called Nazareth. He never wrote a book. He never held high office. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. Yet over 2,000 years have come and gone, and today Jesus remains the central figure of the human race. So important was his coming that it actually divided history into two, before and after. And we all acknowledge that every time we write the date. It's 2020. Since what? Since Jesus came. Someone once said, 
All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the kings and queens that have ever reigned, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all these together have not affected the life of people on earth as much as the life of Jesus. So who is Jesus? I'm often asked on the Alpha course, why do we start with that question, who is Jesus? Surely the best place to start is, is there a God? Well, my reply to that is we could probably spend eight weeks wondering whether there is a God, a greater power out there, a great force, a creator. But if we're exploring the basics of the Christian faith, Jesus is crucial to that. In fact, Christianity is named after Jesus Christ, the Saviour, the Messiah. We start with Jesus because he's the key to understanding our Christian faith. He reveals God to us. He shows us what God is like. He said that he was God in the flesh. And he backed up that claim with evidence. Evidence that we'll explore over the coming weeks. Now I wear glasses. I've worn glasses since I was a teenager because I'm really short-sighted. And if I take these glasses off, everything around me is a blur. I can't make out the edges. But when I put them on, I see everything clearly. Someone has described becoming a Christian as once being blind and now seeing. Someone else described it as someone switched on the light. It's as if Jesus comes and puts edges on God. We can know what he's like. We can get to know him through Jesus because Jesus reveals the fullness of God. He is God in the flesh. Some people say believing in Jesus is a blind leap in the dark. I was reminded of a story, a Christian missionary. She was well known. She worked in the Middle East, worked with children. And one day her Jeep ran out of petrol and she didn't have a can in her car. So all she could find was a potty. So she walked to the garage and filled the potty up with petrol and went back to her car. And just as she was filling her car, this great limousine passed by. These wealthy oil shakes who knew her well, saw her, they wound down the window and they shouted across to her. We don't share your beliefs, but we really admire your faith. Now, obviously, if she was filling uh, that car with the normal contents of a potty, that would be a blind leap of faith. Some people see believing in Jesus as a leap in the dark. But there is, of course, a step of faith needed, but it's not a blind step of faith. It's a step based on firm historical evidence. In the first part of this talk, I want to examine some of that historical evidence. According to an old communist dictionary, Jesus is just a mythical figure. But no serious historian these days holds to that view. No one denies that there was a historical figure called Jesus, who grew up in Nazareth, who was an amazing man who did amazing things. He is written about, not just by Christians who followed him, but by Jewish historians like Josephus, like Roman historians, Tacitus, Suetonius, they all wrote about Jesus. But the main evidence we have of his life obviously is found in the writings of the New Testament. 
Now, some people will argue, well, the New Testament was written so long ago, how can we trust it? Is it reliable? Well, the answer to that question is something called textual criticism. Let's look at this table together. Essentially, the more texts or manuscripts we have of an original, the less doubt there is about the original. And the less time between the original and the earliest copies, again, the more reliable they are. So if you look at this chart, comparing the New Testament, say, to the historical works of Caesar, the Gaelic Wars, taught as Roman history in our schools, or take Josephus or Tacitus, who both wrote about Jesus, compare them to the New Testament. The New Testament stands head and shoulders above them all in terms of manuscripts and in terms of time span. One of the world's leading textual critics, F.J.A. Hort, who's not actually a Christian, said in the variety and fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient writings. So we know from the existence inside and outside the New Testament that Jesus did exist. He was a historical figure and we can rely on the accounts in the New Testament. But who was Jesus? We know that Jesus of history was fully human. He had all the attributes of humanity that we share. No one seriously doubts that. But what we may question is was he more than just a human being? Was he, as John's Gospel puts it at the beginning of his writing, that he was God in the flesh, God with us? What many people say today is that Jesus was a great human being, a great religious teacher. The comedian Billy Connolly spoke for many when he said, I can't believe in Christianity, but I think Jesus was a wonderful man. Well, that's great. But is it enough? What evidence is there to suggest that Jesus was more than just a wonderful man or a great religious teacher or a moral teacher? The answer we'll discover is a great deal of evidence to support the Christian view that Jesus was the unique son of God, God in the flesh. What did Jesus say about himself? What evidence is there to support what he said? See, people can claim all sorts of things. It might not necessarily be true. Some people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, it's true. He never went around just saying, I'm God, I'm God. But if you look at what he did say and what he did do, it all points to him knowing exactly who he was. Much of Jesus's teaching centered around who he was, his identity and what he had come to do. In a world that was hungry for something, and I believe still is, Jesus said, I am. Prince Charles once said, there remains deep within the soul a persistent and unconscious anxiety that something is missing, some ingredient that makes life worth living. There is a hunger within the human heart. Leading psychologists of the 20th century put it in different ways. People are hungry for love or hungry for security, hungry for significance. 
The Alpha Course describes this hunger as a God-shaped hole. That whatever we try and stuff in this hole, whether it be material things, relationships, status, wealth, it never satisfies. The only thing that satisfies is God because it's a God-shaped hole. Something is missing. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Nothing else satisfies, but if you come to me, I will satisfy you. Many people are walking in darkness, anxiety, disillusionment, despair. They're looking for meaning and direction. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. Many people are fearful of death. I, I remember I was before I was a Christian. Listen to these amazing words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Astonishing words. Many of us are burdened by fears, worries and guilt. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus actually said, if you received him, you are receiving God. If you welcome him, you welcome God. If you see him, you see God. I reminded of a story of a young child drawing a picture, and the child's mother asked the child, what are you drawing, love? A picture of God, the child replied. Oh, darling, don't be silly. Nobody really knows what God looks like. To which the child replied, well, they will when I finish my picture. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus came to invite us into a relationship with God, not into a religion. I'm often asked by people when they discover what I do, um, because I don't wear a dog collar or anything like that, but once they discover I'm a church minister, they often say, well, you must be religious, mustn't you? And they're quite surprised when I say, no, I'm not. I'm not religious at all. In fact, I'm not interested in religion. In fact, I think man-made religion has got a lot to answer for. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. He's changed my life. I believe he is who he says he is. Religion is often about us. It's often about our performance, trying to impress some sort of deity, earning points. Christianity is so different. It's good news. It tells us that God has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He came for us, not us looking for him. He came for us to rescue us. Jesus is unique because no other world religious leader has claimed to be God. No one. Jesus, in effect, said, if you want to know God, know me. So how can we know the claims of Jesus are true? That he was indeed God. Well, if you look at Jesus, you have three basic alternatives. Either his claims were lies, untrue and he knew it, 
which would make him a liar or an imposter. Bad. Or maybe he didn't know the truth himself and he was deluded or, or mad. Or the third possibility, that Jesus knew who he was and everything he said was true. Could Jesus be bad, mad, or is he the truth? After all, he claimed that he could forgive people their sins. Well, only God can do that. He claimed that he would be the judge of all mankind. Well, surely only God can judge. Those who opposed him to his face said these words, we're opposing you because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what he was saying. So what evidence is there to support what Jesus said? In order to assess the possibilities, we need to examine the evidence. You have to test out claims, don't you? Not everyone who claims to be someone is that person. I remember a story of Margaret Thatcher. You might remember her. She was the prime minister many years ago. And she visited a psychiatric unit and she was introducing herself to the clients. And she'd said to one lady, hello, I'm Margaret Thatcher. I'm the prime minister. To which the lady replied, that's all right, dear. I was like that when I first came in. Think about Jesus's teaching. The teaching of Jesus is widely acknowledged to be the greatest teaching that has fallen from any human being's lips. Even those who are not Christians are impressed by the Sermon on the Mount or the parables that he told, like the Good Samaritan, or other sayings like, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. And once he summed up the whole Old Testament law with these two commandments, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Bernard Ram, an American professor of theology, said this about the teaching of Jesus. They are read more, quoted more, loved more, believed more and translated more because they are the greatest words ever spoken. They are the kind of words we would expect God to say. So his teaching is the foundation of our civilization, particularly here in the West. Many of our laws are based on the teachings of Jesus. And we have made progress in every field of technology and science. But we have to admit, whether we travel faster than ever, no more than ever, in 2000 years, we've not improved on the moral and ethical teaching of Jesus Christ. Could that teaching have come from someone who was bad or mad? Secondly, his works. Jesus said the miracles he performed were in themselves evidence that the Father was in him and he was in the Father. Now, some people might think that Christianity is boring. It was never boring being around Jesus. Who else could walk on water? Who else could make the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk? Who else could go to a party and turn water into wine? Who else would take just one boy's picnic and feed over 5,000 people in one time? He had control over the natural elements such as the wind and the waves. And a couple of occasions he even raised the dead. Yet it was not just the miracles that he performed were impressive, but who he was, his character. Everything that he did came out of love, 
love for people, love for the lost, love for the broken. The supreme demonstration of his love was shown when he died on the cross. We'll talk about that next week in a bit more detail. He was tortured and nailed to a cross and hung there for six hours, yet he still said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That tells you something about the character of Jesus. In Jesus, here is someone who exemplified supreme unselfishness, but never self-pity, humility, but never weakness, joy, but never at anyone else's expense, kindness, but not indulgence. He was a person in whom his enemies could find no fault and a person whom his friends said he had no sin. Surely no one can suggest that someone with a character like that was either evil or insane. The fourth element is his fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that were written over a period of 500 years by many different authors. There were prophecies about where he was to be born, 29 prophecies about how he would die. Now, some people have said, well, Jesus set out to fulfill all these prophecies. He was a con man. How do you fulfill that prophecy of where you're going to be born? and how you're going to die. His resurrection. The physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It's the most important thing. It sets Jesus apart from anyone else. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote, without faith in the resurrection, our faith is futile. We're to be pitied more than anyone. So what evidence is there to support the physical resurrection of Jesus. The absence of the body from the tomb. Now many theories have been put forward why Jesus's body was not in the tomb. Some even say, well, yes, he was uh, flogged and tortured and executed, but he never really died. And, and when they laid him in the tomb, he came around again and moved the two tons stone out of the way and disappeared. Oh, we can't really believe that sort of thing, can we? In fact, there was a rule amongst Roman soldiers that if you were responsible for an execution, you would pay with your life if you didn't fulfill that. And in fact, the way that they would um, accelerate death when people were crucified was to break the legs of those who were crucified. And when they came to do that to Jesus, they realized he was dead, so they didn't break his legs which is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament saying that the Messiah, the Christ, his bones would not be broken. But to make sure he was dead, they put a spear through his side and were told that blood and water came out separately, a sure sign of death. Or maybe the disciples stole the body. Well, why would they? They were terrified. Their world had fallen apart. They were not expecting the resurrection. They were hiding in an upper room. Jesus had to go and appear to them. What about the authorities? Did they steal the body? Well, that's absurd because as soon as the uh, news of the resurrection started circulating, they could have just said, here's his body. The only other option were grave robbers, but the only thing valuable in the grave of Jesus was the grave clothes. 
And there's an amazing passage in John's gospel. When he looked into the tomb, he didn't see the body, but the grave clothes were still there and they were still wrapped as if Jesus had just come right through them. And then there's the appearance to the disciples. Could these ordinary men, fishermen, ordinary women, have hallucinated seeing Jesus alive? Well, he spoke with them. He showed them his hands and side. Famously, Thomas, who's often called the doubter, which I think is a little bit unfair. He famously said, because he missed seeing Jesus the first time that he appeared to the disciples, said, I won't believe it unless I see it and unless I put my finger in the nail holes and my hand in his side. When Jesus appeared again to the disciples, Thomas was with them. And Jesus said to Thomas, see my hands and my side, touch me, believe. And Thomas broke down and he said, my Lord and my God. An astonishing thing for a Jewish man to say, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said something amazing. Yes, believe because you've seen and touched, but blessed are those who will not see but we'll still believe. Maybe that's you and I. He ate and he drank with the disciples. And then there was the immediate effect, the spread of Christianity across the, the known world. Michael Green puts it, the church beginning with these handful of ordinary men and women swept across the whole known world in the next 300 years. It is a perfectly amazing story of a peaceful revolution that has no parallel in human history. Christians were able to say to inquirers, Jesus did not only die for you, he is alive and you can meet him and discover him for yourself. And that's what we're saying too. Because those of us who have found in Jesus a saviour, a living hope, can testify that he is alive. Millions, countless millions around the world today would acknowledge that Jesus is their Lord and saviour. I've followed Jesus for the last 35 years and have a re living relationship with him. I've experienced his love and his grace and his peace as a living reality. It proves to me that Jesus is alive. He changed my life. The evidence of Jesus Christ rising from the dead is so extensive that one former chief justice said this. In its favour as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection of Jesus is true. So we've looked at the evidence. We've looked at what Jesus said. And so we come to answer that question that we began with when Jesus said, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? Was he mad? Was he bad? Is he telling the truth? Is he God in the flesh? C.S. Lewis, who wrote many Christian books, perhaps most famously for the Narnia books, like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe says this, we are faced with a frightening alternative Either Jesus was and is exactly what he said, or else he was insane or something worse. It seems obvious to me that he was neither lunatic nor fiend. And consequently, however strange or unlikely it may seem, 
I have to accept the view that he was and is God, God in the flesh. This is evidence that demands a verdict. We began with the question that Jesus asked, who do you say I am? I wonder what your answer would be today. God bless you and thank you for listening.